Hello and welcome to The Double Double. My name is David Dixon and today is going to be another solo podcast and today we're going to do, we're going to mix in NBA and NFL Week 8 Recap, Week 9 Preview as well. We started to talk a little more about the NBA. Uh, the season's about a one week old. Teams are getting into the swing of things. It's still really, really early. You don't want to give too many judgments based on how things have been going thus far. A lot of guys are still hurt. You know, people are talking about the Clippers as maybe they're a real finals contender, but without Paul George, I'm not really comfortable yet making a full analysis of them as a team because they're going to be different when George comes back. He's going to be such a big part of the team. He's not some role guy who's coming back. He's going to be a major star, major factor on this team. And on paper, it looks like he'll slide in really well. But until he does it in games that count, he's coming off double shoulder surgery. I, you know, it's I don't want to pencil them in for the finals yet. The Rockets are, are looking pretty good with James Harden and Russell Westbrook, that connection so far has done pretty well together. Uh, It's funny, I was watching the Rockets game the other night, and the announcers are already all over the referees for not giving Harden the calls, and it's going to be a long season for them if already it's not even November and they're already attacking the refs. It's going to be a long year for them. Miami's playing pretty well. They're starting 2-1 without Jimmy Butler. He was back. Jimmy Butler's been out the first three games. They're playing really well. They won tonight. Uh, so now they're 3-1. and one. You know, there's, there's a bunch of teams that have been doing really well. The, the, the Lakers are figuring it out with LeBron and Davis. The West just looks absolutely loaded with Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis in Dallas. They might make a push for the playoffs. you got the New Orleans team where they're really fun, and if Zion's able to come back and contribute, they can make a late push. So the season is going to be a lot of fun, and we'll be talking a lot more about the NBA as we get going. But kind of just to start off the our NBA coverage for the 2019-2020 season, one idea that I wanted to do was, as a way to help preview the season, do my list of the top 10 players in the NBA. And... You know, I was thinking it should just be all just one podcast, or we should, should we stretch it out? So, so what I decided to do was we're going to split it up. We're going to do the top, bottom five. We're going to do from ten to six, and then take a break, and then do NFL. And then next time, our next podcast, we'll do five to one and NFL or college football, just as a way to break it up and to tease it out. Because I am working on it. It's a evolving list, just because it's. What it is now doesn't mean that it can't change towards the end of the season because then I also think it could be a fun thing to reevaluate going forward as well as the season plays out because things may change. Guys may move up. Guys may fall off the list. Guys may change in the list. So let's just jump right into it. Number 10 for the top 10 players in the league, number 10, Russell Westbrook. Last year, playing in OKC with Paul George, he averaged basically 23 points a game, 11 rebounds, 10 assists, averaged a triple-double again, but he did have four and a half turnovers per game as well. So why he's on the list. So 
Westbrook, while being or while having the propensity to be extremely reckless at times, he still is an elite playmaker. And some people may say he overpasses and that he's forcing and he's triple double hunting and forcing assists and overpassing to try to get those stats. But I still think when you watch him play, he does make he does make a lot of plays for himself and for teammates. Sometimes he is a little reckless, but you have to take the the bad with the really good sometimes with Westbrook. And he still is an elite athlete at the position. He is no longer the type of athlete he was three or four years ago. Makes sense. He's almost 30 now. He's had a bunch of knee surgeries. He's not that same. You know, no one at 30 is the same that they were at 24. But still, he's still one of the best athletes in the NBA and definitely an elite athlete at the point guard position. So while his shooting numbers have also declined significantly in OKC with his three-point percentages dropping down to the high 20s, free throw percentages in the mid-60s, I do believe that by playing with James Harden in Mike D'Antoni's free-flowing offensive system, that should help him get better shots. Going from Billy Donovan to Mike D'Antoni is a huge coaching improvement on the offensive side of the ball. And just the way that Houston plays with pick and roll into the matchups, that Westbrook could get a lot of opportunity to attack slow-footed big guys off switches. A lot of it will be determined if he can make three-pointers, but also you know, off James Harden's drives. He should have an opportunity to make a lot of catch-and-shoot threes as well, which should be really big just for his shooting numbers because he won't have to force everything off the dribble. By playing with another MVP, he should be able to get some easier looks at the basket. But then it's also up to him to play within himself. If Westbrook's going to be the same super reckless player, it's a different conversation. He may not even be on this list when we revise it later in the season. Because if his shooting numbers don't improve, he's not going to be on the list anymore. Because in the NBA in 2019, you have to be able to shoot the ball. You have to be able to shoot the ball. Basically at, at any position, but especially at the point guard position, you got to be able to get to like 30% from three. And that's like at the worst. Like you really should be at like 36-ish percent. But if, even if you're at 33, 34, like, okay, you can live with that. But so for just the outlook for the season, this pairing with Harden looks dangerous already and has potential as they play more and more together just to be incredibly dangerous because they are so hard to stop. Because if you go double team Harden, if he's having one of those nights, you swing it to Westbrook. Now Westbrook's playing four on three, coming downhill at you. You're in a really, really tough spot. And they can go my turn, your turn as well, which can work. It was proven they got to the Western Conference Finals doing it with Harden and Chris Paul, and I think Westbrook's a better player than Chris Paul. So who knows? Paul's a better three-point shooter, but Westbrook has a chance to prove it. I still think he's going to put up all-star numbers. He should be in MVP contention just from the numbers I think he's going to put up. He'll be in the mid-20s with points. Should get like 8 to 10 rebounds a game. Assists may drop a little bit, but either way, if you're averaging 20 and 10, that's an MVP. At the point guard position, That that is an MVP caliber season. He won't win, 
but he will be in the mix. And then also the outlook is this Rockets team may make the finals. They're really good. They're not very deep, but they've proven in the past that they can make runs of the playoffs without a very deep roster with top heavy players. So we'll see. The West is wide open. So if they make the finals, all bets are off. Number nine, Nikola Jokic. Last season, Jokic averaged 20 a game with 10 rebounds, 7 assists, while shooting 51% from the field. Somebody asked, why is he on the list? I've, I've never heard of him before. Well, you're going to. He is a young, rising star in the league. He is the best passing big man in the entire league. This guy is a true center. 7 feet, 7 1-ish, at least 265 pounds at least, and looks like he's like 280. And the way he moves, it's like he's 310. But incredible passer, really, really skilled. He puts up triple-double numbers every night, and he's the best player on a top-four Western Conference team. The Nuggets came in second last year. They basically bring everyone back and add Michael Porter Jr., who should help at least just make some shots from the outside. If you're the best player on a top four Western Conference team, you deserve consideration to be on this list. And Jokic has proven it with his play. He should take another step forward this year. Defense is always the question for him. But as long as he's just slightly below average or average, he's in contention for best all-around big guy in the league. He's already the best passer. Passing big guy, elite offensive player, can shoot the three ball. Very creative with his inside moves. Doesn't dunk a lot, but he's just so skilled that he's definitely a top 10 player, in my opinion. So looking forward to this year, he's a lot for the all-star team. He's got the entire nation of Serbia voting for him. Also, American fans who love his game, too. And he can put himself firmly in MVP consideration with a really successful Nuggets season. This team can win the West, people. They can win the West. They came close in making the Western Conference Finals. They lost in seven to Portland. They have a real chance. They bring, As I said, they bring everyone back. They were the two-seed last year, a young group. They're now a little more exper- experienced. The West is wide open, and they have an elite player. He's unquestionably the best player on the team, too. And you can start challenging some of the all-time great big guys for passing abilities. Not saying he's a Vlade Divac or Arvis Sabonis or Bill Walton, but he could start challenging and getting into that upper, upper echelon of the great, great passing big guys. Number eight, Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard for the Portland Trailblazers last year scored almost 26 a game. With four and a half rebounds, seven assists, a steal, and less than three turnovers. So just in comparison, he's ahead of Westbrook. Mainly, a lot of it is just not just because of what happened in the playoffs, but he turns the ball over less, which is such a big key. And I believe that he's the second best pure point guard in the league behind Steph Curry. And he proved that he is ahead of Westbrook after dominating and ending the Thunder's season last year. He took it to Westbrook one-on-one in that playoff series and said, man versus man, who's better? And Damian Lillard proved by winning that series that he's better. He's a lock for the all-star team. 
his numbers mean that he's an MVP candidate if he's over 25, 26 again this year. He has a chance to get some MVP votes. And the whole team is predicated around him. They go as he does. They can make the Western Conference Finals again. Or if he gets hurt, they can miss the playoffs. Everything is based on him. He's so important to the team that he's, and you're only that important if you're a top 10 player. So the outlook for the season, he's the second best point guard in the NBA. He has a chance to firmly secure that status behind Steph by playing great this year, playing better than Westbrook. He's already the best clutch performer in the NBA based on what he did in the playoffs last year. And he can maybe challenge for 28 to 30, to 30 points a game to prove that he's not just not just a great scorer, but an elite all-time great scorer. And one thing that I like about Lillard as well, when LeBron went to L.A., people were looking around the league as to who may go and, and, and join him. You know, will, they, will the Lakers go get Bradley Beal? Will the Lakers go get Kevin Love? Will the Lakers get Chris Paul? Will the Lakers get Anthony Davis like, like, like they did? And one of the players that was talked about of moving to L.A. was Damian Lillard. To that point, Portland hadn't really done anything in the playoffs of that much significance. And it seemed like, okay, Portland was kind of stuck and they were good but not great with Lillard and McCollum. Should we move on from one of them? The Lakers could put together a compelling package at the time with Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram and picks. And Lillard basically said, no, I don't want to leave. I don't want to go join a super team. I want to win on my own, win as the best player. And, and I really respect that because it's difficult when you, all these super teams are forming to not participate in the player empowerment era. But he is doing his thing, and I, and I just really respect it by staying in Portland, a smaller market, where it would help his MVP numbers if, let's say, he forced his way to Chicago. Or if he got to Brooklyn before Kyrie did. So I just respect that a lot from Lillard. Number seven, new Los Angeles Laker, Anthony Davis. In a shortened season last year with a lot of load management and pouting and DNP's trade requests, he still averaged 26 points, 12 rebounds, almost four assists, two and a half blocks per game. Anthony Davis might just be the most purely talented player in the entire league. This guy can do it all just based on pure, pure talent. There's very few people at his level. Kevin Durant, LeBron, maybe Giannis. I think Davis is more talented than Giannis. Doesn't mean that he's better. He might be more talented. Easily the most talented big guy. More talented than, than Jokic for sure. And he now has a chance to thrive in his preferred destination. He wanted out of New Orleans, and he got exactly where he wanted to go. He wanted to be on the Lakers, and now he's on the Lakers. So now it's on him to prove it, that he can dominate, not just dominate and make the all-star team. you got to dominate and make the playoffs. And once you're in the playoffs, you got to dominate there too because the expectations with the Lakers and with LeBron is championships. If you put up great stats like you did in New Orleans but only make the playoffs once like you did in New Orleans, it's not going to fly in L.A. 
it's going to hurt your legacy. So it's time for him for the outlook for the season. It's time for him to put up or shut up. Time to dominate and prove that you're really, really good and that you're the as good as all your talent and the best big guy in the league and all of that. Or stop being a distraction. Stop wearing that's all folks t-shirts when the last game of the season in a place you don't want to be. Stop dominating the headlines with how unhappy you are. Because if you can't dom because if you can't show up in the postseason, then you're just an afterthought. You're just talent, but not it. You know, you're one of the many, many guys who play in the NBA who was great, great basketball player, super talented, but not one of the all-time greats. You're just not. So it's on him now to to prove that he's a winner and one of the league's elite when it matters. It's easy to play well against Sacramento in October. That's easy. That's easy if you're one of the best players. What's hard is doing it when it matters in May and June. Davis has never played into May. The guy has battled injuries throughout his whole career. Can he even get to May? Do we know if he's going to be healthy when the time comes when they need him to dominate in the playoffs? I don't know. I got a lot of questions about Davis coming into the season. And just to justify all the drama he created last year, they got to make at least the Western Conference Finals. At least he does to prove that he's at least worth it. So there's a lot of expectations for Davis. I'm looking forward to seeing if he can live up to really any of it. And the last one of our mini NBA preview, number six. This one might, now we're getting to the controversial zone. James Harden. I got James Harden at number six. Six. Yes, I know he averaged 36 points a game last year with six and a half rebounds, seven and a half assists. But he did have five turnovers a game. People forget that. Yes, you could say his usage rate was insane. And when you have the ball in your hands on every single play for 40 minutes, you're going to turn the ball over. Get it. I get it. But it's still five turnovers a game. That's a lot of turnovers. That is a lot of turnovers. But he's on the list. Because he's the best healthy offensive player in the league. I think when it comes down to anyone, it's him and Durant. But because Durant is hurt, Harden's the best healthy offensive player in the entire NBA. And might just be, you know, some of the stats guys might say that he's the best offensive player of all time. I'm not there yet. I still think you got to do it in the finals. Just for the legacy part of it. And also certain rounds of the playoffs. But he's impossible to guard and stop. You really just have to hope for a miss and the whistle to be on your side that the refs don't call those touch fouls, the kickouts for the three point on the three pointers. I love what the Bucks do with that gimmick of literally just jumping on his left hand and if Harden's standing facing the basket, the Bucks defender is basically facing the sideline of Harden's left hand playing defense. I think it's a really cool gimmick because it basically just says, all right, you're going to have to go to your off right hand or drive to the hoop. We don't want you taking any threes, which is really interesting. And it's kind of worked, and I just like it because it's fun. But I would like to – I don't know how that would work in a seven-game series. You know, it's it's easy to do and work one random off night in November or December, but if Harden can practice and train for it for seven straight games – who knows it will be as successful. 
And the guy is revolutionizing the game of basketball. I read Sprawl Ball by Kirk Goldsberry, great book. And a whole chapter dedicated to Harden's three-point and free-throw mantra and Daryl Morey and the whole stats revolution behind just the types of shots he takes and the shots he hunts and how he hunts for fouls and how many points per possession he gets on a, on a pair of two free throws versus any other play in basketball. Like, it's ridiculous. If When you look at the numbers, I think it was like he averages 1.85 points per possession when he shoots a pair of free throws. And, like, the rest of the league, just a normal two-point shot is at, like, one. Like, of course you're going for the, for the extra points. Like, yes, you could say it's not in the spirit of the game, but it's also what's best for the team. It's the best play. So he's revolutionizing the game through the stats-based approach. Whether or not he knew it at the beginning when he was doing it, the combination with Maury has just unleashed a beast and a lot of critique, but also a lot of fanfare because it is kind of fun to watch. Like you have the nerds in the back office telling you what shots you should take and the guy who's the best at the world at taking them. This is what it looks like when it's all perfect together. Like all the nerds in the back can say all these guys need to be shooting threes, but then when you have guys who aren't very good at threes shooting a lot of them, um, it can be pretty ugly to watch. But at least when you have guys who are good at threes taking a lot of threes, then it's kind of fun to watch. So just like Davis for this upcoming year, he needs to match the postseason play with his regular season play. I don't know if it's because he gets tired after so much usage during the regular season, especially last year where he really – brought that team to the playoffs if they start so slow or if it's just because the games get a little tighter they not not as many fouls called i don't know if that's part of it but you did run into the Warriors the last two years that's tough and i don't want to blame for the clippers series of a couple years ago or the Spurs series a couple years ago now because he's a much older more mature player but it's also like all right heart and you've won an mvp Arguably, you could have had three. You got to start. We need to see you in the finals. We need to see you on the biggest stage. You have Russ. You had Chris Paul. It wasn't a teammate thing. You almost beat the Warriors two years ago. Chris Paul gets hurt. I get that. But we got to get you over the hump. You got to just get over the hump. And a lot of how he does this year is how he meshes with, with Westbrook on and off the court. Stylistically. No one's going to doubt that. West, that Harden's better than Westbrook or Harden's the best player on the team, maybe except for except for Westbrook, but it's all about how does he handle playing with Russ during the crazy times? How does he handle Russ's mood, his attitude, which at times can be can be difficult. They played together in OKC, but that was six or seven years ago. They're apparently friends off the court, which may help, but it's also, okay, you could be friends with plenty of people, but the great saying goes, you don't go in business with your friends, and they're basically in business together. So we'll see if it works for them. And I kind of want to see if he can win the MVP again. Because why not? If he's at like 30 a game and they win 60 games this year with Westbrook and they're on the verge of the finals because of no no Warriors dynasty, I think he could win the MVP again, which I think would be really cool. Basically, just looking back at it, like a four-year run from the year he battled Westbrook with a triple-double debate. Then obviously winning the award, then battling Giannis last season for it, and then I think it'd be cool of just stacking up his last four-year run with the with other great four-year runs in NBA history. I think that would be really really cool and be a great project for some of the best minds in basketball and the 
best sports writers like Zach Lowe and Jackie McCollum and, and all those guys. So just, just really looking forward to it. So we're going to take a quick break. And then when I come back, we're going to do week eight NFL review and then week nine preview. I know I didn't say college football. I just want to point out a couple things, a couple of events from the last week. First, uh, LSU, huge win over Auburn. That helped them jump up in some of the polls that I saw. Number one, or tied for number one with Alabama. Just huge and really setting up for a clash of epic proportions when they match up against each other. Not this upcoming weekend, but the weekend after in Tuscaloosa. That game should be incredible, folks. Uh, Just bonkers game. Hopefully, Tua is fully healthy for it. But even if, but always when LSU plays Alabama, it's always a great game. Definitely on my bucket list of games to attend. I've heard games at Death Valley at LSU are better fan experience than Tuscaloosa. Not by much, but just by a little bit. So maybe I'll try to get to an LSU-Bama game at LSU. But if if you can find a way to go, go. Because I've only heard great things. And then Michigan. Michigan must listen to the double-double, folks, because they came out and dominated Notre Dame. The weather was a big factor. It was like a monsoon. Don't know why they called so many passing plays on Notre Dame's part uh, I feel like it would kind of be hard to pass in a hurricane type environment but that's why I'm a podcast host and not a football coach maybe the roles should reverse but hey you know I'm not the one whose job is on the line with those decisions so anyway Michigan played great they were awesome huge 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 win for Harbaugh first I think it was first top 10 win over top 10 team since he's been there Hopefully this gets their momentum going. Like I said, Jim, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's on the guys on the team to put it together for you. And and they did because they started making plays and didn't have his self-inflicted wounds and looked a lot better. So moving on to the NFL. Kind of have three things I want to hit on about week eight and then moving forward to to week nine. A couple games I want to preview. So the Bears have a really, really interesting problem because they have a good defense, but their quarterback, Mitch Trubisky, is just not good enough. He's just not good enough. Um, And there is no way around it. The guy, when you watch him play, because I'm I'm not going to read out any numbers because numbers can only tell one side of the story. But... When you watch him play, you don't need to look at any numbers because it's one of those rare things where the eye test and your eyes tell you exactly what you need to know, which is just that he's just not good enough. He's not accurate enough with the football. He still is a great athlete, and he makes a couple plays with his legs or being an athlete where you're like, okay, maybe he's got a chance, but all you need to know 
about what the Bears saying of Trubisky was when they have the ball with 41 seconds left and they choose to kneel and set up the field goal and run out the clock instead of trying to get a little closer because, as the coach Matt Nagby said, if, even though I disagree with his belief on this, which is that if everyone thinks you're going to run, it's you're running the risk of a fumble and it's hard to gain yards and there is no way we're going to pass because of risk of turnover. That's basically all you need to know, which is that they don't trust Trubisky enough to not fumble or be smart enough if he doesn't have anything, throw the ball out of bounds or just scramble or, you know, throw a curl or a slant. That speaks a lot to that. They just have no trust in Trubisky to, to win the game for him or take care of the ball because the defense has regressed a bit, but it's also, I'm sure, I'm guessing, and I believe that's because of human nature, which is that if you know that your offense can't win if you give up more than 17 points, that's just too much pressure on them, and it's like that they just can't bring it the same way every week when they know that if we aren't elite, we're not going to win because if that, because if the bears fall down by 10 points, they're not going to be able to come back and win. And so as a defense, once you're down by 10, it's like, all right, well, what's the point? Like we just don't get hurt and we're on to next week because Trubisky's not good enough. And the problem is Chase Daniels isn't good enough either. And they have a lot of draft capital to go get, Khalil Mack. They have a lot of draft capital to move up to take Trubisky. I don't know what they do. Do they go get Andy Dalton? Like, Andy Dalton might help, but also Andy Dalton's not great. He's better than Trubisky, but does Andy Dalton on this team take you to the Super Bowl? I don't know. I'm not sure. As I said before, that's why I'm a podcast host and not an NFL general manager. I would like to see them do something different, though, because what? Because they looked good at times. They were pounding the ball to David Montgomery. They were running the ball a lot, and they looked good at it, but it's just like they're just so predictable because it's – actually, they're not even predictable, but like they're not predictable in what they're going to do. They're predictable in the outcome, which is they're going to have moments where they look really, really good, moments where you're like, what are they doing? Why are they doing this? This makes no sense. And then you know they're going to miss kicks. I don't know if there's been a team that's as bad kicker luck as the Chicago Bears have the last year. Because you could say it's a 41-yard field goal. We should make the field goal. But, you know, that's not a gimme. You're in Chicago. It's super, super windy. Maybe they should just build a dome. Maybe this is the owner's fault. Yep. I mean, like, I love blaming the owners for everything. Why are you building an outdoor stadium in Chicago to play football? You know the wind is going to mess up all the kicks. It's the owner's fault. It's on them. Have they ever stepped outside in Chicago in the winter? You can't even wear a hat. It's brutal. So the Bears have an interesting offseason ahead of them because they they can't pay Trubisky a max. They just can't. He's, he's not good enough. They're going to have to move on. But the question always becomes, who are they moving on to? Are they throw a lot of money at whatever quarterback is available this offseason, whether it's whether it is Andy Dalton or Eli Manning or another guy who doesn't really excite and it's like, okay, maybe we'll see. Or do they take a quarterback in the first round of the draft this year and just start over? I'm looking forward to seeing how this one turns out. The 49ers. 
The 49ers are still undefeated. They crush the Panthers 51-13. They are for real, for real, for real. Whatever adjective you want to use to describe how for real they are, they are for real. Their defense is elite. They are fast. They are vicious. They are mean. That defense can compete with anyone. Dominated Kyle Allen and the entire Panthers. McCaffrey still had a decent day, but they just dominated the Panthers, dominated them. And also on offense, they're also really, really fast on offense too. Tevin Coleman, Matt Breda, incredibly fast. Nick Bosa on on the defense side of the ball, going back to them for a second, is just a game-breaker, edge rusher. He dominated the football game. He's so fast. He's so quick. This team just moves at a different speed than everyone else. I'm not sure that the Patriots' defense is as fast as they are. The Patriots are still obviously incredible on defense. And speed obviously isn't everything, but that's the thing that jumps out when you look at the 49ers. It is just the speed of which they play. And they play the Cardinals this week. That should be 8-0. The Cardinals aren't very good. It could be a classic look-ahead game to playing Seattle on Monday Night Football the following the following week. But if they're 8-0, I th- then they get Seattle at home. This, this team is really, really good. Garoppolo is doing exactly what he has to do, manage the game, keep them in it, win football games. And they they have a chance to not just make the playoffs, but but host a playoff game, which would be awesome for just for that whole area. New stadium, they haven't really been good since that new stadium opened, so this would be an awesome opportunity to bring some excitement back to Levi Stadium and the whole Bay Area. I know they play in Santa Clara, but they still are the Bay, Bay Area's team, especially now that Oakland is moving to Las Vegas after this season. And next, and lastly of the Week 8 stuff I want to talk about, is the Chiefs are in trouble without Patrick Mahomes. Yes, you know, for everyone listening, yes, you could all say it, thanks, Captain Obvious. But they're in trouble because their defense isn't good enough. It's kind of the same thing with the Bears, of that they, the, the only difference is that their defense isn't good enough to... The defense isn't good enough to hold teams to number of points. Is that the offense needs to outscore the other team? That's how they're built. The other, they're built. Their defense is bend, don't break, keep them under twenty-one. You know, let our offense win the game for us, and that works when you have Patrick Mahomes or the guy who they played the other on the other side of the field on Sunday, Aaron Rodgers. Doesn't work when you have Matt Moore. Doesn't work. And Matt Moore played really well. Matt Moore played as well as I think I've ever seen him play. But it just doesn't work. It doesn't work because you need that type of guy who can dominate the game and bring you back and play from behind. And yes, they came back from a 14-0 deficit to make the game interesting, but was there any was there ever really any doubt that Rodgers was going to win the game for him? The Chiefs defense just isn't good enough. And they missed on Jalen Ramsey. The trade deadline passed. They missed on Jalen Ramsey. They missed on Jamal Adams. They missed on every trade target who was out there for him. You know, I I get the draft capital is so important, but even if Mahomes is back, the guy dislocated his knee, is he really going to be at 100%? 
you could argue no is at 100% by week 9 or week 10 of the NFL season, but okay, of, the, of whatever 100% is for NFL guys at this point, if you're 70% of that, that means you're still pretty hurt. So I'd be really interested to see what Mahomes is like when they all come back because he's so important to the team. And if he's not 100% or the same type of guy, just pencil the pats in for the Super Bowl. Just pencil them in. Maybe even write it. Maybe even write them in, in pen, folks, because no one else in the I don't think anyone else really in the AFC can challenge him. And the other thing was Aaron Rodgers just proved how good he is at this whole football thing. He's like, wait a second, you guys are all talking about Mahomes and Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson and all these other quarterbacks, and he's like, what about me, guys? What what about me? I, I have a cool mustache. I've been doing this for a long time. And he proved it when that crazy play, I think it was the third quarter, it might have been early in the fourth, where he, like, rolls right, looking around, and then as he's going down and getting hit, he flings a pass, it like, oh, you know, he's just throwing the ball away. Smart play, Aaron. Good job. We'll live to see another day. And it's like the perfect, perfect throw in the spot where only one guy could catch it in the back right corner of the end zone, which is, of course, caught for a huge touchdown in the game. It's like, are you kidding me, Aaron Rodgers? It's like it was the the great Aaron Rodgers play that we're all come to love about him and the plays that he's made before. It's kind of what I talked about on a podcast a few weeks ago about how Rodgers just beats you in demoralizing ways because it's just like, Oh yeah, he's done. We got him on this play. He's sacked. He's he's going to be down. We're going to live. We're going to make him force a field goal. And then he makes like oh, and then he like plays backyard football and throws it into the tightest window, knowing that his guy will be there and the defender can't do anything about it. I love watching Aaron Rodgers play football, and I really am happy that this Matt Lafleur. Connection for him has worked out because it just means that we get to watch more good Aaron Rodgers football, and that makes me happy. So looking ahead to Week Nine, because the, like the two, the slate this week is really ugly, folks. Not that many great games. Kind of what I said this past week. If for some reason you find the Jets and the Dolphins on on your TV, call the gambling hotline number because you have a problem. Um. No one should watch this game. Jets, Dolphins, please don't watch it. It's, I mean, you you all can do whatever you want. It's a free country, America, you know, whatever. But if if someone finds you watching Jets, Dolphins on purpose, uh, get your loved ones to, to, to find the help you need. The game that you should watch instead is Vikings-Chiefs. Vikings are playing really good. They're six and two. Sorry, they're playing really well. Uh, they are six and two. Kirk Cousins has been really good after the whole uh, media call out by Adam Thielen to that we need to throw the ball more. Dalvin Cook might just be the best running back in football. Not named Christian McCaffrey. He's dominated the season, so that'll be fun to watch against a weak Kansas City defense. And this might be the return of Patrick Mahomes because if Mahomes is back, then it's Great team against exciting team, and it's it should be a really, really good game. And it's at 1 o'clock, which is great. Great early start for everyone on the East and West Coast. It won't be a game that keeps you up way late at night. 
unlike the second game that I want to talk about, which is Patriots-Ravens. This is the first real test for the Patriots of the season, the first quarterback who, in in any other word, is good, Um, except for Roethlisberger week one. But they get to play Lamar Jackson, who's a different type of quarterback, different type of approach than anyone else that they've played, very unique. Ravens' defense is also really good. So it'll be a really interesting battle to see what happens on Sunday night. The game is in Baltimore, which is another interesting factor to come into play, which is Pats also have to go on the road for this first real test of the season as well. And here's a test of Brady's the GOAT, and you, you need him and want him in the highest leverage, most important games. Because Brady hasn't, Brady's been good, but he hasn't been the great GOAT level so far in this season. Let's see where he is, and can he still rise to the occasion as a 42-year-old? Can he still raise his game and turn turn on the switch? So that's what I'm really excited for. And for Lamar, it's time to prove that you are for real, and are you an actual MVP candidate this year? Because if you are, the Ravens have a real chance to win the game, but if not, and the Pats are able to dominate him and make him look silly and make him turn the ball over a lot, throwing the ball. Don't just pencil the Patriots in for the Super Bowl. Write them in in pen. So if the Patriots are in pen for the Super Bowl, that'll be a really, really tough thing for the rest of the AFC and just for them the rest of the season because then you're talking about is 16-0 in play. So that'll be a fun thing to really look for going forward. I think that'll be it for today. Uh, we're trying to talk more NBA later this week. Do NFL and college football again next week and really preview that LSU-Alabama game. I'll do my best to try to get Coach Sass or maybe someone else on the, the podcast to really dive into the college football the week after. I think some, there's some great matchups. So until next time, take care and make it a great day.